Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Luna Lover, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Araqual people of the Bundjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to Luna Lover the Podcast. I'm your host, Jordana Levine, and today we've got a little bit of a different episode. I think one of the things that people struggle with the most when it comes to astrology is figuring out how to apply the teachings to your life in a really practical way. So what we're going to do in today's episode is I'm going to walk you through my own natal chart and explain how I embody and practically apply different placements within my own chart. Now, I did, (laughs) I do feel a bit weird about this. I did run a poll on Instagram to see if this is something people are actually interested in. And turns out a bunch of you are. So while this might sound initially like, (laughs) what is this woman doing? This is so self-indulgent. My intention is to use myself as a guinea pig to show you how I make the most of my natal chart so that you can also make the most of yours. Also, make sure you listen to the end of the episode because I do have a really exciting workshop that I'm going to be running that I think you'll love that's really going to help you embody and practically apply your own natal chart. All right, so I don't really know how this episode's going to go. Let's just see where it takes us. But I don't think I'm going to go into the intricacy of my entire chart because one, you'll probably get quite bored. And two, I like to keep a little bit of mystery in my life, believe it or not. But I will try and share both the light side of my chart and also perhaps the more darker shadowy sides of my chart that I really have to work with. And that way you'll get the full picture of not only my chart, but also me. First off the bat, I do want to say that (laughs) my chart at first glance, if you didn't know me, comes across as a lot. Yeah, it comes across as quite chaotic I have a Gemini Sun, Rising, Venus, Chiron, and North Node, and all of those Gemini placements are in the 12th house, except the Rising, of course, which is the cusp of the first. Gemini in its shadow side is absolute utter chaos, and truth be told, there have been times in my life when that may have been the case, when I was young and naive. Um, And then the 12th house placements, you know, 12th house comes with a lot of shadow qualities when it's not harnessed to its full capacity. And just like all of the houses, it has light and it has shadow. Its shadow side can be a house that indicates mental illness, uh, addiction, um, and overwhelm, like really not having a grasp on reality. <laughs> if anyone knows me, they'll know I'm the opposite. My Virgo moon could also be interpreted as self-critical and someone paralyzed by overanalysis. And I have to say that is the case for me. Um, but it is something that I'm working on and I work on every single day of my life 
Um, but someone who wasn't working on it with all those Gemini placements plus a Virgo moon, I mean, you could just say nightmare, right? And be done with it. And this is why it's really important for all my girlies and guys, guys out there who like to look up a potential partner's chart before getting to know them. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Okay, because we don't know if someone is living out their chart to its fullest potential or taking the lessons and the challenges and the growth in their chart and using it to their advantage. I think, not to toot my own horn, but I do think I live out my chart pretty well these days. Um, There are parts of it, like I said, that are a day-to-day practice, but I think I'm doing pretty well. Pat on the back. All right, let's dive into it. So we'll start with the primal triad, my sun, moon, and rising. So like I said, my sun is in Gemini in the 12th house. And the sun is our identity, right? It's the core of who we are. And when we live fully in our sun, we experience the fullness and richness of not only who we are, but who we have the potential to be. When we neglect our sun or suppress our sun or disassociate from our sun, we can feel depressed, deflated, lacking vitality. It can almost feel like we've lost our direction or our purpose in life. So if you are ever in those moments where you're like, what am I doing? Where am I going? I feel so lost, depressed, deflated. It would serve you well to look deeper into your sun sign and try and lean into the qualities of what your sun gifts you, allows you, opens you up to. The aim of Gemini is openness and curiosity. And curiosity has always been a major part of my life, right? It's one of the reasons I became a journalist. Um, I wanted to be an investigative journalist. Uh, Very much not doing that. But it came from this curiosity. I actually remember saying to my mom when I was a kid, I was like, I'm either going to be... Uh, well, I didn't even know a journalist was a thing, but I'm either going to be a writer or I'm going to be a detective. Yeah. And I feel like when I finally went to uni, I kind of merged the two of them. And I guess in a way now, um, I'm not working as a journalist now, but when it comes to my books and when it comes to reading your charts and when it comes to putting this podcast together, that curiosity is what leads me deeper and deeper into the subjects I study. The Gemini objective is to learn as much as it can through immediate perception. Um, And to be honest with you, I actually find that to be one of the more overwhelming traits of Gemini. I am never not observing, absorbing, perceiving, taking in information. It is something that I don't really have control over. I find myself doing it unconsciously a lot. So I have been conscious to make sure that I'm doing it with intention rather than just absorbing all of the information all of the time. Gemini, the way that Gemini learns as much as it can through its immediate perception is by keeping the mind active right? Now, I would say personally, my mind is always active. It's maybe a little overactive at times. So what has been really helpful for me is to lean a little bit into the 12th house placement of my son, which is asking me to attach not so much to the tangible, but to the intangible. And the aim of that house or the strategy for that house is meditation. Yes, yeah, the same as Pisces. So for me, in order to keep my mind active, I do that through the work that I do and the people I interact with and the conversations that I have. But in order to focus the mind so it doesn't become overactive, I meditate. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't like meditation. 
I'm not one of those people that's like, oh my God, I feel so much better after it. Except that I do feel so much better after it, right? But if you are a Gemini or you have a lot of third house placements or even just um, have a lot of air in your chart, you probably do find self-led meditation quite tricky. Um, There's a few things that I find really helpful Um, If you're relating to this at all, you don't even have to have any of those placements. If you just relate to really struggling with meditation, the first thing I always say is, look, if guided meditation is all you can handle because it keeps you focused, it's still meditation. It counts. If you want to go a step further than guided meditation, I find any meditation that uses a mantra really helpful. So transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation anything that encourages you to have a point of focus. So whether that point of focus is the breath or the spot between your eyes, your third eye, or focusing on a light in your heart, anything that allows your mind to come back to something is going to be really helpful. The other quality of Gemini that I really relate to is the thriving on information And a real world example I have for this is I need to have all of the information at all times. It brings me a level of security. So if you have a Gemini moon, you probably feel this a lot as well. But I remember my dad has been quite unwell and he was in and out of hospital and he he would give me, you know, like the very brief version of what was going on. And that just never sat well with me. Like I needed all of the information. Then I felt calm and okay right and that goes with the work that I do as well it's like I can't do things by halves I need to know everything same same thing happens when I watch a movie I like I'm sure many of you can relate but I'm one of those people on my phone looking at every actor's wikipedia page (laughs) and everyone they've ever dated every child they've had every movie they've been in all of the things And of course, Gemini is the communicator of the Zodiac and I am the embodiment of a communicator. I communicate through my writing, I communicate through a podcast and in my everyday life, (laughs) my uh, loved ones will let you know that I am also big on communication. Now, for me as a Gemini son, communication is not just something I enjoy it gives me life it gives me vitality it's my identity I identify as a communicator right the other parts of Gemini I guess that I really connect with and I feel like I embody is um, I'm very adaptable it's because Gemini is a mutable sign Um, I'm very quick my mind is very quick Um, I think I'm quite witty you guys tell me and I can very easily lighten the mood around me, right? If everyone's getting a little bit heavy, I can bring everyone back up to a really light-hearted level. Now, there are sides of Gemini that I don't relate to in their entirety. So, for example, Gemini is known as the social butterfly. And while I am social and I love hanging out with my friends... I am also an introvert, so I'm not the life of the party. I rarely go to the party, right? (laughs) I can be flighty and I can be fickle, although not so much as I get older. I was a lot more flighty and fickle when I was younger, but I don't find myself to be superficial at all. Um, Quite the opposite. That's probably my (laughs) Mars in Scorpio. I don't deem myself to be tricky. They can be the tricky tricksters, Gemini. But again, in my youth, a little bit of a tricky trickster. Now, one of the things they say about Gemini, again, which I don't relate to, is that they talk incessantly, yeah, just for the sake of it. I don't relate to that at all. But I think... As I've gotten older, again, not even as a child, I, I'm, I've always been very reserved in the way that I speak. And I think that comes down to a few factors that we'll go into as we go through this episode. But I don't talk for the sake of talking. I never, I never have. I'm quite discerning about when I talk and when I don't talk. 
(laughs) And I really think that comes down to my Virgo moon, but we'll come back to that. If we look at the 12th house placement of my son, I think for me, in my case, the 12th adds a spiritual dimension to my expression of Gemini. I mean, this podcast is a perfect example of that. I'm literally communicating spiritual concepts, disseminating information from the cosmos out into the world. I do find myself being overwhelmed by life and by people and the environment, which is very 12th house. And when that happens, I am prone to escapism, which again is very 12th house. And I recognize this about myself. I am very grateful that for me, that escapism of the 12th house has never been in the form of drugs or alcohol or food or any of those ways that people can escape through addiction. For me, it's been a really G-rated version, which is through books and through film. And and when I was a kid, honestly, I spent the majority of my day in fantasy and daydreams. There is a level of like psychism. Psychism? Is that a word? Psychicism? Psychicism. Psychicness? Whoa, we'll figure that out. I'll research it and get back to you. Um, but a level of psychicness, I think, and, and intuitiveness that comes with the placement of the 12th house. So whether you have a 12th house sun or a 12th house moon, I mean, look, the other personal planets in the 12th house count, but especially sun and moon, they're definitely speaking, or especially moon actually, to this psychic and intuitive energy. And that's definitely the case for me with my sun being there. I was very, very, very psychic as a child. And then I kind of shut it down in my 20s um, and early 30s. And I'm only now just sort of opening back up to it. The reason I think that 12th house is so psychic and so intuitive is because they're willing to let go of the reality of being on the earth, (laughs) if that makes sense. But they're also highly absorbent, yeah, highly absorbent to all of the energy around them, other people's energy, the energy of their environment, um, all of that is being absorbed, whether they want to absorb it or not. If you're a Pisces, you know what I'm talking about. And there's also sort of a dissolving of the ego that comes with the sun in the 12th house. And I think in order to like truly, truly channel psychic energy and intuitive energy there needs to be a level of transcending ego in order to access that I have not mastered that at all let it be known (laughs) all right I can still very 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 much be ruled by ego now my rising is also in Gemini what does that mean well I think when you, well, not I think, I know when you have your sun and your ascendant in the same sign, it amplifies that energy, yeah? So for me, it's amplifying those Gemini qualities. It also shows a comfortability with my identity and that the person who I consider myself to be or I, who I identify as is also the person I express out into the world, yeah? So there's like this cohesiveness in the way I identify and how people perceive me. Now that's become more and more conscious as I've gotten older, but that was still the case when I was younger and didn't know the intricacies of astrology. Um, So that's just an innate part of who I am. Um, I'd be interested to hear, you can always DM me on the Lunar Lover Instagram account and let me know if you resonate with that, if your sun and rising is in the same sign. So let's talk about my moon sign now. I said before that I'm not one of those like really chatty talking for the sake of it. You guys listen to me on a podcast. So you're probably like, you do talk all the time, (laughs) but I don't in real life. Um, I mean, I do, but only when it's necessary. Right. And like I said before, I think it's because I'm quite discerning when it comes to what I say and what I don't say. Um, And that comes down to my Virgo moon. So your moon sign is your emotional self. I like to describe it as your inner psyche. It's kind of like this world that 
you exist in on the inside that not everyone has access to. For the majority of my life, I mean, I didn't know about the moon sign and I guess I didn't really think about the fact that my internal world was quite different to how I expressed myself externally. I never really sort of put two and two together. And I think this is what is so incredible about astrology is the self-awareness that comes from it, right? So your moon is driven by your need for emotional security. Its energy goes beyond logic and reason, and it relies primarily on habit, gut feeling, instinct, and mood. When we nurture our moon, we feel safe and comforted, as if we're home. And when we neglect it, we feel threatened, defensive, and fearful. So like I said, I didn't know much about my moon. And in not knowing much about my moon, I didn't really know how to nurture it or any of those Virgo tendencies that I had. But once I learned about it, I realized I was so much more Virgo than I thought I was. And here's the wildest thing. I actually found Virgos really annoying. Now, I have a bunch of Virgo friends and I love you all and I don't find you annoying now. (laughs) But before I knew about my Virgo moon, Virgos used to irritate me, right? And that's when I realized it was because they were mirroring parts of myself that I was choosing to ignore. Maybe that resonates with someone listening. I'm sure it does. The aim for Virgo is perfection. Um, And perfectionists used to drive me crazy, even though I am one. Um, (laughs) And the strategy for Virgo is analysis and precision. When I discuss the moon sign in a natal chart reading, I like to look at the evolutionary goal. Yeah, because we're looking at the evolution of our soul. We're looking at the evolution of our emotions, which are always in a state of flux. Um, if you want to learn more about the evolutionary goal of your moon sign, this week's subscriber episode is all about that. Yeah. We go deep into the significance of your moon sign and then we explore all 12 moon signs and the evolutionary goal of each. So if you're keen to listen to that, all you need to do is click the link in the show notes to become a subscriber and you can do so for as little as $8 a month. All right, so back to me. (laughs) Enough about you guys, back to me. Um, The evolutionary goal of Virgo is self-improvement. And this is not an understatement. My whole life I have been obsessed with self-improvement, right? And the obsession part of that comes from my Scorpio Mars, my Mars in Scorpio, Um, but also through my Virgo, yeah, health, fitness, personal development, you name it, I tried it. I took it too far at times in my life. Um, And in the last few years, since I moved to Byron, actually, so like the last four years, I've simplified it a lot. You know, I kind of put it in perspective. (laughs) So my self-improvement these days doesn't come from punishing myself with exercise or depriving myself of food or trying this diet and that diet to look a certain way. Um, And it doesn't come from reading a million different personal development books. It comes from self-awareness. The more I learn about self and my strengths and my weaknesses, um, the challenges and the obstacles that I face within my life and how I am able to overcome them. It's the only self-improvement I need. Virgo wants to make everything just a little bit better and it can be Virgo's downfall, right? Because sometimes enough is enough and done is better than perfect. The best way that I've found to connect with your own moon is to figure out what brings you a sense of emotional security. For me, (laughs) it's order, it's planning, it's structure, it's finding work that matters and honing a skill so that I can be of service, right? That is Virgo. That is 
the definition of Virgo, but that is also me. Like if you asked me that and I didn't know anything about moon signs, that's what I would say. I have had to be very careful of the shadow qualities of Virgo. Um, I'm very prone to self-criticism, also criticism of others. Like I've really had to work on that. Um, I'm a nice person, (laughs) ask anyone, Um, but I can be really, really critical and it's not cool at all. So I've really been working on that in the last few years. I can be a perfectionist. I can overanalyze, especially when it comes to my feelings, which is my moon. And like I said, I was health and body obsessed in my 20s and I've really, really let that go. And if you are health and body obsessed now, please try letting it go. It is a world of freedom when you finally do. (laughs) Now, if we go back to me not talking for the sake of talking, which was part of Gemini's shadow qualities, I think that's because my Virgo moon is in the third house, right? Which is the house of communication. There is a level of precision and perfection that comes with the way I communicate my messages. Um, I have been told that many times by different people. I think I shared that in the podcast with you a few weeks ago. Um, And that's also reflected in my Mercury and Taurus, which we'll talk about next. Third house moon, if you have a third house moon, you might relate to this, also makes you very sensitive to the nuances of speech, which I totally Um, And it's not just the nuances of spoken speech. (laughs) It's the nuances of written speech too. I can tell that someone's tone has changed in a way I can't really describe, except that it's a deep feeling that I have. Again, your moon is your intuition, right? I'm also super sensitive to a change in the ambient energy of an environment. And third house is all about your perceived environment. So that's all very third house moon stuff. Now, I used to ignore that when I was younger. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was part of having your moon in the third house. So when I did feel a change in someone's speech or tone, I used to tell myself, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's all in your head. And yeah, there's probably a lesson that I can learn from not attaching to every change in tone when someone's talking to me. But I also have to trust my gut when I know that something's shifted. And same with when I feel the energy in the room shift, I have to trust that. Now, going a little bit deeper, my sun and my moon are square each other. And if you're a subscriber, you'll know we discussed aspects. So we discussed squares last week. And usually this speaks to a conflict between the needs of your ego and your emotional needs. And I would say growing up, that was definitely the case for me. My Gemini placements wanted a million different tabs open and Virgo just wanted like a minimalist approach to life, (laughs) right? And as I've gotten older, I embrace the many tabs, but I ensure that in order to give the many tabs the energy they need, I have to have routine, organization, and a color-coded work calendar, right? It's the only way for me to get through. So I've had to learn how to harmonize and balance that square aspect in my chart. All right, so you may or may not know this about your own chart, but your rising sign or your ascendant tells you what the planetary ruler of your chart is yeah so you want to look to the sign that your ascendant is in and then you want to look at the planet that rules that sign so i'm a gemini rising the planet that rules gemini is mercury so that makes mercury the ruler of my chart it also just happens that mercury rules my sun and moon sign because mercury also rules virgo So (laughs) regardless of my sun and moon being ruled by Mercury, my rising is, which makes it the planetary ruler of my chart, but it's 
it's also amplified because of that sun and moon placement. It means I am very mercurial, yeah? And we know that Mercury is the planet of communication. But more specifically, it's about the transmission of information. So let's have a look at my Mercury. My Mercury is in Taurus in the 11th house. Now, when Mercury is in Taurus, it flavors it with practicality, rationality, and simplicity, yeah? And the 11th house is all about community, technology, group consciousness, and future direction. It is the intellectual house of ideas and innovation, strengthened in power by the joining of like-minded people. Now, (laughs) and when you think about the work that I do, right? I write books, I host a podcast, and I work as an astrologer. And all of these involve me transmitting information in a really practical and simple way. I take big esoteric subjects like astrology and manifestation and I bring them back down to earth, repackage them and then spread that information through groups of people. Pretty cool, right? Now, I didn't know, like I was doing this really before I knew much about my Mercury and Taurus in the 11th house. So this is another way your chart shows itself to you. And many of you that have had readings with me will know this. Like even if you don't know the intricacies of your chart, they are innate qualities within you. So you're living them out regardless. When we're not in tune with ourselves, when we don't have self-awareness, when we suppress parts of ourselves, this is when we can come back to the natal chart to help open us back up, to get the energy moving and shift us forward. The spiritual aspect of what I do, so the astrology and the manifestation, that is pretty much concerned with all of my 12th house placements that we spoke about earlier. And then the practical earthbound application of the spirituality is due to my Mercury in Taurus and my moon in Virgo plays into that as well. All right, so that's the primal triad, right? Um, And that's the core of who I am. That's like the foundation of who I am. I am going to take you through a few more placements, but I'm not going to put so much uh, attention and awareness on them because we'll be here forever. (laughs) But I just want to highlight the key parts of my chart that I think will be valuable to you guys. So let's start with... Oh, my Venus in Gemini. And I say, oh, because it is a bit of a mind fuck um, on its own. Yeah. And then just to add insult to injury, we plonk it in the 12th house. I have spoken about 12th house Venus placements before. I'm pretty sure on this podcast, maybe it was in a subscriber app. Anyway, I'll tell you about it again. Venus in the 12th house loves to fantasize, romanticize, and idealize love and relationships. Often, if you have your Venus in the 12th house, you will be dating someone's potential. Now, another version of this is Neptune in the 7th, which I also happen to have, or if you have your Venus in Pisces. All right. So if you have Venus in Pisces, Venus in the 12th or Neptune in the 7th, you will connect to this idea of when you're dating or even in relationship, there's a level of romanticizing and idealizing a partner and it's not always reflective in their actions. Is that their fault? No, that's your fault. (laughs) And when I say your fault, I mean my fault. What we do fellow Neptune in the seventh Pisces in Venus in Pisces and Venus in the 12th. And I've met many of you in natal chart readings is we have this idea of how the relationship will play out. We go into the future and we judge that person based on that, right? So even if they're not living up to it, even if they're just going about their day, doing what they do, we've created a fantasy of who they could be, the potential they could have. And then we get sorely disappointed when they don't live up to our expectations. Again, not their fault, ours, yours, mine. 
All right. So that's the that's the placement in the twelfth house for me. And then I've got my Venus in Gemini. Um, Venus in Gemini's are big flirts. I can tick that box. I am flirty. Two, uh, not so much now. Like I mean, I'm still a flirt now. But in my teenage years or late teens, early twenties, I. Um, was innately flirty without realizing it. And it didn't even have to be with someone I was interested in. I remember working in hospitality and just being what I thought was nice. Um, but in retrospect, I can say I was probably a bit flirty with customers. But I still think it was just being nice, but it was very Gemini flirty, right? And it was often, I would often give men, especially, the wrong idea, right? So the way I learned to deal with that was to be a bit of a bitch when I worked in hospitality, which can also be quite Gemini, um, because I didn't like the uninvited advances, right? So I'm a little bit more discerning now with my flirting. I'm quite conscious of it and that it can be read the wrong way. So that's a big part of having your Venus in Gemini, but also anything in Gemini. There's this constant need for stimulation, Right. Um, That can sound quite sexy. I don't mean it that way. I mean it in the sense that you need to be stimulated, entertained. It's usually through the mind, which makes intellectual compatibility paramount to a Venus in Gemini. And I have to say that's the case for me. I've been with many, many a gorgeous, handsome man. Um, But if I cannot connect with them intellectually... I'm bored. And that is the other quality of Venus and Gemini we need to talk about is the fact that we get bored very easily. And this is what can be quite tricky in relationships when it comes to the honeymoon period being over, right? There's a level of boredom that creeps in. And when that happens, Gemini in Venus tends to I say this like this isn't me what I tend to do uh, not so much anymore because I've learned about this side of myself but what I used to do is I would create drama or I would just create something so that there was novelty and surprise and stimulation again so something to be conscious of if you too have Venus in Gemini I have to say of all of my placements I think my Venus in Gemini in the 12th house has been the most challenging for me I really um, have to check in on it constantly and make sure that I'm not bored because something is nice and easy. Make sure that I prioritize intellectual stimulation. Like I think that that's okay to prioritize that. And I have to make sure that I am able to stimulate myself Again, sounds kind of sexy, but I don't mean it like that. I just mean like have a lot of other things going on in my life so that I don't have all of my focus and my need to be stimulated through my partner. All right. I hope that resonates with people. I also have Uranus opposite my Venus. And I want to talk about this because it's come up in readings quite a bit lately. So I think you guys will be able to resonate with it. If you have Uranus making some sort of aspect to Venus so it could be conjunct Venus or square Venus or opposite Venus or maybe even trine Venus Um, or you have Uranus in the seventh house it kind of speaks to having or desiring or perhaps being curious about unconventional or odd relationships when I first heard this about my chart I was so resistant to this (laughs) because I assumed an unconventional or odd relationship was a polyamorous relationship and not that there is anything wrong with that at all open relationships are definitely something that people are thriving in and I am all for it but I just know that it's not for me when I say unconventional I don't just mean an open relationship there are so many ways to do relationship that do not fit perfectly into societal expectations of what a relationship could look like. So it could be long-distance relationships. It could be welcoming in someone else's children into your relationship. It could be being in a long-term relationship and being in separate homes. 
if you're a subscriber, we spoke about this. We've actually got an aspect this week, which is, what is it? Is it Uranus conjunct Venus? Yeah, it is. So we're actually all going to be feeling bits of this this week anyway. Um, But looking at relationships differently, I shared a bit of a story, bit of a (laughs) spilled a bit of tea in the subscriber app this week around another way of looking at an unconventional relationship um, that I've been tossing up this week. So you might want to go listen to that. I guess what I'm trying to say is knowing I have this aspect in my chart, Uranus opposite Venus, I have been a lot more open to relationships looking different. Now, it could also be like maybe you're in a long-term relationship with no desire to get married. Plenty of people do that. What does society think about that? Well, society's like, oh my God, you guys have been together for eight years. Why aren't you engaged yet? You know, like shut up. All right. So this is also like a Uranus and Venus aspect. Let's keep moving on. Mars in Scorpio in the fifth house. All right, so Mars is the planet of our drive, our determination, and our desires. It also really speaks to our sexual desires, so I'm going to start there. I am turning 39 this year, oh my God, and um, it took me 34 years of my life to admit that I had a sexual appetite. Scorpio placements, especially Sun, Moon, Rising, Mars, Venus – need to be able to express their sexuality without shame or guilt. Uh, and I and I haven't worked out why. I still have to do a lot of thinking, maybe going to a Catholic high school. Um, I had shame and guilt around being in the full expression of my own sexuality. When I moved up to Byron, something shifted. Maybe that's got to do with the energy up here. Who knows? But when I was able to unlock those parts of myself, I discovered so much more about myself outside of my sexuality. So if you have Scorpio placements, perhaps that's resonating with you in some way, but it's really important that Scorpio is able to express itself. Now, when I do natal chart readings with people, I have to kind of get a read on whether or not they're going to be comfortable with me talking about sex, but I do always try and integrate that in when it comes to the Scorpio placements. There's also, look, a level of like intensity and obsessiveness that can come with a Scorpio placement, especially when it's your Mars in Scorpio. I know that I have that. I know I can be really intense, especially about work stuff. And I can obsess over things. That's my overanalyzing Virgo moon and my Mars in Scorpio. So all Scorpio placements listen to this. You need to channel that intensity, whether it's an intensity of emotion, if you have a Scorpio moon or Pluto's aspect in your moon or, you know, you've got Venus in Scorpio in the seventh house or there's some sort of intensity. Eighth house placements, this will speak to as well. There's an intensity and obsessiveness that needs, sometimes it's jealousy, envy, all those sorts of things, needs to be channeled, right? Channeled through a creative pursuit, I think is always the best way to do it. I personally channel it through my writing, uh, but you might like to channel it through art or knitting or cooking. Um, If you have a lot of fire in your chart, you can channel it through exercise, um, but just, you know, think about whether that's a good thing for you. For me, it's not a good thing. If I channel it through exercise, I can lean over to becoming obsessed about exercise. So it's like this vicious cycle, right? So you've got to kind of work out the best way for you to channel that intensity. The... Next thing I want to talk about is my Jupiter in the seventh, because I think it's quite an interesting expression of it for me. It's not classically what I would think Jupiter in the seventh would be. Seventh house is the house of relationships. Jupiter is the planet of luck and opportunity, and it's the expander. Now, classically, having Jupiter in the seventh speaks to being lucky in relationships, I am not sure that's been the case for me. I haven't been unlucky. I haven't been unlucky at all. Um, I've had some beautiful relationships, but I wouldn't deem myself to be (laughs) particularly lucky. I do gain wisdom 
through relationships. And Jupiter is also the planet of wisdom. Funnily enough, Jupiter is also all about publishing, yeah? Jupiter, Sagittarius, ninth house. It can be about publishing, the publishing industry and books. And it just so happens that I wrote a book about love, dating and relationships, and it's called Higher Love, which again is like a throwback to my Venus in the 12th house. Because what we didn't talk about, sorry, when we talk, spoke about my Venus in the 12th house is there's this like desire for a spiritual bond through love. Like, how can I make love and relationships a spiritual union? Which was kind of what Higher Love alluded to, I guess. All right, one last thing, um, and then I'll let you guys get back to your day, (laughs) is um, I have Saturn in the fifth. Now, Saturn in Scorpio, in the fifth house, we know that Saturn is very slow moving planet. It takes a few years to move through a sign. So the sign isn't as important as everyone my age is going to have their Saturn in Scorpio. It's more about the fifth house placement and how I've seen for me Saturn play out in the fifth house predominantly is that I find it really difficult to play. Yeah. The fifth house is the Leo house. It's all about self-expression and creativity and play And Saturn can bring a level of insecurity and fear and restriction to the house that it falls in. And I haven't seen it being restrictive with my creativity, but I have found it difficult to play. Even when I was a kid, I was so insecure about not being in control. Oh my God, poor little child, Jord. I just want to go back and hug her. I was constantly overanalyzing Virgo Moon. Um, and perceiving my environment. What were people thinking about me? What were they um, feeling about me? You know, what were they saying about me, right? So I never let myself be in free flow, which is play. Um, I still struggle with that now. And I know that a lot of you guys do as well. I often ask people in natal chart readings how they play and everyone's like, ah, I think men find play easier because they play sports and they have hobbies and they do, they seem to do more things. Um, not to say that women don't play sports because of course they do too. But I think for men, play is a lot easier. I think if you have a dog, you probably find yourself playing more than others. Poppy, she sometimes plays. She's not super playful. <laughs> She's staring at me now like, stop talking about me. And also if you have children, of course. Like for me, I don't have children, but I do love playing with my friends' kids, it's probably the closest I get to play, right? When I'm playing with um, children. I hope you gained a lot from this episode. You can see how there are ways, once you understand placements in your chart, how you can play them out to your advantage and also how you can be aware of the challenges that they bring, right? Now, This is why I think it's so important to have your natal chart read so you understand all aspects of yourself because honestly, like until I knew this stuff about my natal chart, I probably wasn't living out my chart to its fullest potential. Now, as you probably know, if you follow me on Instagram, um, and I'm so grateful for this, but my calendar for natal charts is booked out now until July. I don't know how that happened. Um, I do know how that happened. My prices are going up on the 1st of April. So if you still want to grab a natal chart reading at the current price, um, they're going to go up by about $50. Then book yourself in now, even if it has to be July. I do also have a wait list that you can hop on if you want to be notified if there's a cancellation um, or I add any more spots earlier. I'll always announce that on Instagram as well, by the way. Um, if you don't want to wait until July and you're just dying to know more about your natal chart, I am running a workshop. It is called embodying your natal chart and I'm actually going to run it in two parts. Yeah. So you don't have to come to both parts. I'm going to sell them separately, but the first part of the workshop is on Tuesday, the 23rd of May at 7 PM Australian Eastern standard time. 
if you can't make it live because you're in a time zone that puts that in the middle of the night or 7pm is dinner time or the kids aren't in bed yet, like all those things, I totally get it. Um, you will be sent the recording. You will also receive as part of that workshop a PDF workbook jam-packed full of information about the planets, each sign, the houses, and so much more. Yeah, and it's going to be like a real companion to everything that you learn in that workshop. The first workshop is going to focus on what it means to truly embody your natal chart and practically apply it to your life. So much of what we spoke about today. Um, And we'll look at the primal triad in that first workshop. So your sun, your moon and your rising and how it really forms the foundations of who you are. And then I want to give you a few weeks to incorporate those teachings so you can really embody your chart. And then if you want to explore it further, we will explore the personal planets, Mercury, Mars and Venus in the second workshop. I'll also tell you about what we can learn from the outer planets in our chart. So if you want to join me for the first workshop, all you need to do is click the link in the show notes of this episode. And I'll also put a link on my Instagram bio. And that that is going to be jam-packed, right? Um, I valued it at 89 Australian dollars. I think it is worth every pretty penny, even just for that PDF workbook that you're going to get, right? There's so much information in there that's going to help you every time I mention something on the podcast. It's going to become a little Bible for you. Um, I'm working really hard on that one. All right, my loves, what a bumper episode. I hope it didn't come across as self-indulgent. That was not what I wanted it to be. I hope that you understand yourself better through some of the things I said today. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to share it on Instagram or wherever you share things. You can just text it to a friend. But if you do want to tag me on Instagram, my handle is at Jordana Levine and you can tag Luna Lover at Luna double underscore lover. If you're keen to become a subscriber, you get a bonus episode every week. Um, and if you're an Ascendant subscriber, you also get a new moon and a full moon circle. To do that, all you need to do is click the link in the show notes of this episode. And again, if you want to have your natal chart read, there's a link in the show notes as well. All right, my loves, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will be back next week. We are talking about the Libra full moon. Oh my God, I love a Libra full moon. I'm so excited to take you through that. I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Luna Lover, the podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.